everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. NBA Finals will tip off tonight. Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets. Who do you got? Nuggets, well, they're a nine-point favorite in the opener tonight in Denver, in the Mile High City. They are the favorite to win the NBA Finals, their first world championship. But the Miami Heat have been proven to be a team that you shouldn't underestimate. In the playing tournament against the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the favorite to win the whole thing, and then again against the Boston Celtics, who were the second favorite to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Can Jimmy Butler, Bam, and a bunch of dudes no one wanted to draft, can they take down possibly the best player in the league on a team that's got depth for days? We'll see. NBA Finals tips off tonight. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parse III, better known as RP3. I'm joined here inside the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. My man's got a big day on tap. Big day on tap for D-Lo, a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. Son of Iceman. It's producing this show, obviously the highlight of the day. Start off strong. Start off strong. Then he's filling in for Kevin Foote in footnotes because our guy, Kevin, is flying down to Miami, which we know Foote loves to travel and loves to go to places like Miami to cover the Raging Cajuns in the Coral Gables Regional. So my man's filling in for Footsie from 9 to 11. Then tonight... After a successful run calling LSUE baseball and some softball games over on the Cajun Prairie this spring, my man's going to flex his broadcasting play-by-play muscles yet again as he'll be on the call for the Acadiana Cane Cutters television Texas Collegiate League stream. Big day for you. Big day. Yeah, they got a big one, too. The Victoria Generals are coming to town. That's not a team you want to take lightly, so we're excited about it. Excited Call. about the whole day, really. You never can underestimate a team from the state of Texas. No, not in the Texas Collegiate League. It's kind of a kind of a, a given. I mean, come on. Yes, yes! Plus, we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to preview the Baton Rouge Regional with the voice of Alec Box Stadium. Bill Franquez will be joining us at 7.30. Les East... From CrescentCitySports.com, he'll join us to talk the latest with OTAs and the New Orleans Saints. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then a good friend of yours will be joining us at 8.30. Who is it, my friend? Yeah, that's Corey Glor, the voice of the uh, Green Wave, talking about the historic run that they just went on and um, if they can make any noise in the Baton Rouge Regional, maybe scare the Tigers a little bit. We'll see. That's who we got lined up for you today. We're going to tackle a slew of different issues. going to 
preview the Cane Cutters home opener as well. That's on tap. Houston Astros inexplicably losing to the Twins. I guess the Piper needed to be paid. I'm not really for sure how that works now that it's June the 1st. Does the mythology of the Piper change once we get to June 1st? That's a question I have. Maybe that'll be explained to me if I tune into footnotes from 9 to 11 today with guest host Dawson Isola. Possibly. Yeah, we we should have foot on, and we can maybe ask him that in the first segment. I don't translate for the Piper. It's it's one of those like you have to go through foot because he's the only one who can talk to him. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> the great thing about Footsie is when you question his Piperness and the logic behind it, he sidesteps that and then doubles down on the Piper by coming up with some new theory that you haven't even heard of yet. It is a beautiful thing to watch that man's mind work. We'll also hear from Matt Deggs and company. Caught up with them before they departed for the Coral Gables Regional. So we got a lot on tap for you this morning. Of course, game hotlines always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off NBA Finals. They tip off tonight. 7.30 on ABC. Heat have been here before recently with Jimmy Butler leading the way and Coach Spo coaching them up. Just a few years ago, remember in the bubble? It was the Lakers versus the Heat. And we made a joke before the start of the postseason of, hey, wouldn't it be funny if it was Lakers-Heat in the NBA Finals? Well, we didn't get that. The Lakers ran out of steam in the Western Conference Finals. But the four teams that played for the Conference Finals in the bubble played for the Conference Finals yet again. And now we have Miami, a team that was, let's be honest, dreadful during the regular season. They were not very good. Some of it was injuries. Some of it was They just looked lost. They looked a little disinterested. They didn't necessarily look like a team that was going to be doing anything. Looked like maybe Miami was in store for a rebuild, if you will. They struggled mightily offensively. Jimmy Butler was, for the most part, consistently good. Bam had a breakout season this year, but... They had injuries, especially when they got into the playoffs. Tyler Hero, they lost him, then they lost Victor. And they had to play seven different guys, got considerable minutes, that were all undrafted. And this was with the Miami Heat this season. This is how improbable it is that this team is playing in the NBA Finals. They were 30th in points, Dawson, 27th in rebounds, 25th in assists, 25th in offensive rating, 21st in net rating, yet they're four wins away from a world championship. This isn't the Miami Heat teams with D-Wade and LeBron and Chris Bosh and a bunch of other guys like Birdman and Mario Chalmers out there. This is Jimmy Butler, bam, and let's be honest, the broken down bodies of Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love. That's who they're throwing out here. Washed up Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry, seven undrafted guys, guys that no one else wanted, including the Heat. 
No one said, hey, these guys are worth drafting. You know how many guys get drafted at the end of the first round and in the second round that never even sniff an NBA locker room? Every year, that's how it works. And somehow Pat Riley, with Eric Spolster as the coach, have come up with a team with Jimmy Butler, washed up Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry, seven undrafted guys, and somehow, and Bam, who's at a breakout season, I don't think we talk enough about him, and somehow have made it to the NBA Finals, Dawson. Yeah, and I actually, uh, I brought this up earlier in the week, and I did confirm it. Caleb Martin was teammates with Jordan Brown back at Nevada. That okay. freshman year for Jordan Brown, the Martin twins were kind of the leaders of that Nevada team. Uh, Caleb and Cody Martin, um, coached by Eric Musselman, now the coach of Arkansas. A lot, lot going on with that Nevada team that I didn't quite uh, remember all the details of, but they were really good. Um, but so, my point in saying all that is I was, I was pretty familiar with Caleb Martin in college. I followed him, he was a good player, and um, he made it to the league, and I don't know if I ever thought I'd hear of him again. And I don't know if a lot of NBA fans or uh, front offices thought they'd hear of Caleb Martin much more, but like I just go back to what he did in Game Seven. I mean, and 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 really that entire series, but specifically Game Seven. I mean, the Game guy Seven was, he was special. Like every time they needed a big bucket, he got it for them. And and it's just, I don't know. You 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 just can't expect that from guys like that. And you know, I don't know if this is some bigger picture NBA evaluation of how things are going to go, uh, I, or maybe this is just one incredible anomaly. You know, I I I, I kind of tend to think it's more anomaly than anything else, but. I will say this: nine and a half points, and and I guess I, again, basketball spreads are weird. I don't I don't really like focusing on the uh, on the Vegas aspect of it, but like nine and a half, this Miami team really we think that's we think they're going to be you know non competitive in in some in some form or fashion. Now I get you can lose a game that's close by ten points because of free throws at the end, but uh, I th- nine and a half I think is a little disrespectful to what Miami's been able to do against teams that we thought were dominant, right? And I know we think Denver's great, and I think they are, and I still. You know, if I had to pick someone to win the series, I'd pick Denver. But I just think it's funny that the Vegas lines are still acting like Miami is this huge underdog when it's like every step of the way, they've proved to us that they could play with anybody in the playoffs. They have proved us wrong every step of the way, like you just said. When they stumbled and backed into the playoffs to begin with, they had an opportunity to not even be in the playing tournament. It's not as if they played well. And then they lose to Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. So they have to win the second play-in tournament game just to get in. And they get in as the eighth seed, and you're like, oh. And then they take down Giannis, Drew, and company in Milwaukee, the number one overall seed for the Eastern Conference. Then they take down a well-coached New York Knicks team, that's got some some talented pieces. The Knicks were far more talented than the Heat. That didn't matter. Miami won that series. And then they go up 3-0 on Boston. Boston storms all the way back to tie up the series. And then Miami closes it out on Boston's home court and smashes them in the face with like a brick to make it to the NBA Finals. And I love their attitude. Was Jimmy Butler all about celebrating winning the Eastern Conference Finals? Nope. They weren't about that. They weren't about that. 
I love their attitude. They have done so much more with less than any team in modern NBA history. Imagine if Pat Riley could get a couple of stars to play with Jimmy Butler. Now, once again, that's not as easy as it seems, right? There's a reason why Jimmy ended up in South Beach by himself, right? Jimmy's hard to play with. And not because he's a ball hog, not because he's got that James Harden quality about him or Russell Westbrook, right? It's because Jimmy is pushing himself constantly. So he pushes himself. He has a very old school NBA mentality. We talked about that with Ali Cassell on Tuesday. He'd fit right in as like the sixth man off those Chicago Bulls teams are playing for the bad boy Pistons or for playing for Pat Riley when he coached the New York Knicks in the 90s. He'd fit right in, Dawson, to that type of mentality. Work hard. You're only going to be great if you're constantly working at being great. Well, a lot of the modern guys aren't down with that. Ben Simmons wasn't down for that. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins were down for that. So Jimmy wore out his welcome in Minnesota and in Philly. There's a reason why he ended up in Miami. But Pat Riley saw a guy and said, yep, I like him. He's a Pat Riley guy all day long. He just is. And people think of the old Showtime Lakers that Pat Riley coached because they were so slick and they were so Hollywood, but those guys worked their tails off. They might have been Hollywood, but they had a huge blue-collar mentality about them. So Jimmy is difficult to deal with. This is why you got two guys on the tail end of their career that they're getting big minutes from and a bunch of undrafted guys proving that they belong in the league. Those are the types of players that will take being pushed by a veteran. On the flip side, we have a very well-orchestrated team. Offensively, oh man, they are a tremendous team to try to slow down. Jokic is special. He's a triple-double machine. Offensively, he is hard to slow down. Anthony Davis couldn't do it. Is Bam going to be able to do it? I don't know. I don't know. AD is one of the better post defenders in the league, and he had no answer for the big fella. Big fella ate him up in that series and spit him out. But the great thing about Denver and... Yeah, they're led by their two-time league MVP. Jamal Murray is now fully healthy. And he's playing at an all-star level. And they get great contributions from everyone else they have built the roster around. And that's where they're kind of like Miami, right? In a lot of ways, you have two teams with alphas on them and a bunch of guys that accept their role and work really hard at contributing to the total team concept. It's going to be a fascinating NBA Finals to me. I still like Denver to win this. Miami has proved us wrong over and over again. I just don't know who Miami is going to throw at Jokic to slow him down. 
And do they have enough offensive firepower to keep up with Denver? Defensively, they're going to come and frustrate Denver. There's going to be some clunky nights in this series for the Nuggets, but I still like Denver to win. I still like Denver to win its first world title. That leads us to our poll question of the day. We're going to get right to it. What will happen in the NBA Finals? Denver wins in six games or less. Miami wins in six games or less. Denver in seven. Miami in seven. Right now, Denver wins in six games or less is getting 100% of the early vote. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Houston Astros decided not to play very well against the Minnesota Twins. We'll recap it for you next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros. Woo. Twins come to town. And the Strohs are like, hey, Blaine Viator, it's your birthday. We know you're here watching us. We know you got a tour of the locker room and got to hang out in the dugout and you got to post photos on social media. But friend of the game, diehard Houston Astros fan, we don't care because we're going to get roughed up a little bit and lose 8-2. Hunter Brown got roughed up in this one. Twins put up eight runs on 11 hits. Started in the third with three runs, two runs in the fifth, two runs in the sixth, added another one in the seventh. Houston finally puts up some sort of effort at the plate in the bottom of the eighth, but it's not nearly enough. Brown goes four and two-thirds, five runs all earned on six hits. He did strike out eight, but location was a problem for him yesterday, through 102 pitches. Varlin, meanwhile, for the Twins, cool, man. About seven shutout innings, five Ks, only one walk, four hits. So he kept the Astros batters flummoxed. That's a good college word, huh? Oh, you weren't prepared for that. 626, and that's your first 10-cent word of the day. <laughs> I'm feeling good about myself today, bud. Pena, though, was a bright spot, right? He had two hits, a pair of hits. And Alex Bregman, a pair of hits. So two of those guys that have had a very sluggish start to the season were at least productive at the plate, but they still lose and then lose the series. And uh, look, I've taught myself a long time ago as being a lifelong baseball fan, you can never get too high and never get too low about your baseball team, right? Yeah, You just can't, Dawson. Is it optimal to drop two of three at home to the Twinkies? No, just like it wasn't optimal to go on the road and lose two of three to the Milwaukee Brewers. But a season 
has some big time ebbs and flows to it, right? And with Texas inexplicably losing to the Detroit Tigers, you still are only three games back of the Rangers for first place in the American League West. And you're still 32 and 23, well above 500, nine games above 500, in fact, as the calendar turns to the month of June. But as the calendar turns to the month of June, and it's still early, anything gives you pause about this team. There's a lot going on with this team. Injuries have played a role. We still don't know when Michael Brantley's ever coming back, if at all. Now it doesn't look like Lance McCullers Jr. is going to be coming back anytime soon. You assume Jose Arquiti is going to be coming back by the All-Star break. Uh, I wouldn't count on it. Right? Abreu has not figured out how to get extra base hits. So this team isn't perfect, and this team has had a lot of issues to start off the season, but still nine games above 500 as we enter the month of June. But is there anything with now a month or so under their belt that gives you a little pause, some reservations about your Astros? Not really, no. I, I mean, starting pitching-wise, not only has it been good and has it been almost great, you haven't had guys you expected to have, and you lost Luis Garcia, Jose Arquiti, you never got Lance McCullers back, and you lost Justin Verlander for agency, and none of it's mattered. J.P. France has given you good innings. Brandon Belak looks really good, which is just not something you expected. The bullpen, they've won a couple of games late, but they've still their numbers are still near the top of the league. I mean, the Astros' ERA is near the top of the league. Like, I, yeah. Offensively, there's certainly some cause for, I guess, I, I don't even want to say concern because Altuve's come back and kind of giving you a spark. Abreu's been a disappointment, sure, but like I think a lot of emphasis is being put on Abreu just because there's not that many other flaws with this team. Uh, and so correct because you can't because you didn't have Altuve for so long right and Bregman gets a pass because Bregman's always a slow starter mm-hmm. Pena just helped you win a World Series so you're like well he's only a second year player and he's been still, fine like, and I, still in a lot of ways Jeremy's still kind of in his rookie year you know games wise right so he's still kind of adjusting to playing in, in at that level and you know you haven't had Brantley around so Obviously, Abreu struggling is magnified because what else are you going to focus in on? Yeah, and, and look, you might not get Brantley back, so I'm trying not to think of it that way, but I still think overall there's there's really there's very few flaws with this team that are that are and I guess maybe I shouldn't say flaws. There's very few fatal flaws. There's very few things that I think you'll look back and go, well, it was always the bullpen. The bullpen was just never gonna I don't think that's the case with any specific spot on this team. And look, if they if Jose Abreu and I, and I said that if Jose Abreu's hitting 215 with five homers in in August and September, then you have a concern. Yeah, but again, at that point, I wouldn't be playing him anymore. And and maybe they will because of the investment. That's but I don't think they will. I think they'll recognize that it's time to win baseball games at a certain point. So, no, I, I really am not all that concerned. And you, you haven't gotten swept all year, as Foot loves to bring up, and that's that's impressive at this point in the season, right? And and it shows you that they just they don't go on losing streaks. They haven't lost three games in a row or. I guess maybe they, you know, I'd have to look back if they've lost the last two of one series and the first of another, but they haven't had any, you know, profound losing streaks beyond that. And I mean, here they are, right? With a chance to still, they're right there with the division. Texas lost again last night. So you're still three back and you're still three back. 
and you've been there before. Texas hasn't in recent memory, right? So when Correct. it gets down to a division race, that's another thing. I, I'd go advantage Astros. They they know how to play their best baseball at the right time of the year. The My only counterpoint to the – well, you just don't get swept. Eventually, there has to be a point in the season where – you need to win series, right? So, well, and they did. They just right, rattled they, off that winning streak right, a couple weeks ago. J- just in generalization, saying that is, well, just don't get swept. Well, your mentality has to shift from not being swept to winning series and sweeping the opponent, right? So they've already kind of made that adjustment. Look, I, I still like what they're doing. The the sometimes the lack of timely hitting is the thing that I would go. Okay, that's something that has to be kind of remedied. But once again, they don't have Brantley. Once again, Abreu isn't hitting, and they just got Altuve back. So there's still plenty of time. And by the way, Alvarez is an absolute monster. So Astros are still going to be just fine. Three games back of the Texas Rangers. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk a little Raging Cajuns baseball. You're listening to the game right here on 1037. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajuns. They're gearing up for the Coral Gables Regional. Miami is your host, the national seed. Number two, Texas is in the field. Maine is in the field. Don't be sleeping on Maine. I mean, actually a legitimate powerhouse in the 80s. I got my history lesson from Kevin Foote the other day. Um, I wasn't familiar with Maine baseball success, but how about seven trips to the World Series? This regional... You know, you, you know the, they're the Black Bears. I do know that. Um, Did you know that? Yes, yes. They came down and played Tulane in football a few years ago, a few years ago and um, it wasn't pretty for Maine um, in that one. Do you um, know what conference they play in? The Northeastern Conference? Is that it? They play in the America East oh, Conference. The America East. I, I thought it was the NEC, but it's the AMC. Yes. They they the A- they've been to the they went E-C. to the College World Series. Seven times. Yes. 81, 82, 83, 84, 86 was their last appearance. They also appeared in 64 and 76. I would also like to point out that they stopped going to the College World Series and stopped winning regionals in the mid-80s when teams in the southern part of the United States started taking baseball seriously. Because that's when your your big Partially, seismic yeah. shift in college baseball happened was in the mid-80s when all of a sudden SEC and ACC schools were like, maybe we should take this seriously. Because, you know, before it was always like Southern California and teams from other parts of the country that would dominate. But Texas was always pretty good. But Miami and then like LSU came and, and then the, the entire SEC came and you know, it's it's interesting. You can kind of point back to that moment and go, when, when when those schools in the southeastern United States started taking baseball seriously, all of a sudden, everything kind of shifted. No, it's it's the Coral Gables Regional as a whole, though, is honestly 
like a who's who of college baseball programs. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of college World Series history. There's 63 in World Series appearances in this regional, and the Cajuns only contributed one of those 63. So correct. That's something in itself. Now, you know, obviously this this current main team didn't have much to do with what happened in the 80s, and these current Miami no. and Texas teams didn't have much to do with what happened with no. you know 95 percent of their World Series appearances either. But I think it speaks to the expectations that happen. I'd say more specifically with Texas and Miami. When you step foot into those baseball programs, you're expected to make regionals, win regionals, and make the the College World Series in Omaha. Did you know, my friend? I'm about to I'm about to give you some more history. Are you ready for it? Because I know you're a sponge for this. Yes. That the University of Maine opened in the fall of 1868. Okay. As the Maine College of Agriculture and Mechanic arts the baseball program was founded in 1881 it was the school's first intercollegiate athletic program i know that was all off the top of your head so i'm really <laughs> proud about that there's nothing in front of you um yeah do, do we have the their Bears. do we have the admission rate or any um <laughs> what type of financial aid they offer over there at maine but no all things considered i think this is a fascinating regional and like i i agree because you you brought up Stillwater yesterday yes as the one that you could see an upset. And I also brought up Fayetteville as, as one. And we've talked a lot about some of the other regionals that could disrupt things, right? Lexington, we pointed out that Columbia Regional with South Carolina as the host is one to keep an eye on. But even though Miami is the host here, this regional could go so many different ways because of the quality of teams they have it. They didn't do Miami any favors whatsoever by putting the regular season Big 12 champ into their regional in Texas Longhorns. Yeah. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who went on a great run at their own conference tournament, who have proven they can beat the best team in the country when they beat LSU this year. And, oh, Maine is a small school program, but they have a ton of history. Who also won their conference tournament. So, I, Correct. Look, I think... I still think it's Miami. I think Miami's the best team overall. I think they're getting a little bit discounted in all of this. Um, but the other thing that there's going to be a lot of different factors. By the way, you know, Foot kind of was paranoid at the end of the day yesterday about a tropical disturbance in the Gulf. He's actually right, though. And like apparently, there could be four to six inches of rain every day through Saturday in Miami. So this is a regional that could, you know, now look, there's it's supposed to be spotty, and, and maybe they'll get a game in here or there, but like. You could have an opportunity where this regional doesn't start until Saturday or even Sunday. So what you're saying is, is go ahead and brace ourselves for not having Kevin Foote back here to host footnotes probably ever. Oh, well, it's certainly possible. Um, right. You know, and maybe he just kind of in, 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 ingrains himself in the culture down there and loves it and, and just decides to move down there um, with how much time he's going to be spending uh, in South Beach. But no, in all honesty, like that plays a factor. And I will say this, and... Uh, I'm by the way, just a preview and footnotes coming up at, from nine to eleven. I'm going to give my regional superlatives, uh, which is something I've been putting together, just kind of trying to prepare you for everything you can kind of be watching out for. Not only in the regionals that we're going to be focused on, but if you're watching other regionals, I'm going to give you some things to look out for. Oh, there it is. And I'll discuss this regional a little bit more. But I will say this: I think there was one fatal mistake made in this process by the host team, Miami. I think you should have wanted to play that first game. And we talked about this again. Jeff Willis kind of talked to me about it with LSU East tournament. Uh, we heard it from LSU softball a little bit. There were some different you know, things going on with, with the de- decisions to take first games and then the Cajuns actually in the conference tournament. I think Miami should have wanted to play the first game here. And I think the Cajuns actually in Texas are put themselves in a little better – well, they didn't put themselves. They got put in a little bit of a better spot to play the first game on Friday 
because as I mentioned, I think there's a good chance that you don't get every game in here. So if Miami and, you know, let's say the Cajuns and um, Texas are able to get that game in, maybe some rain delays here and there, but they find a way to play it. One o'clock first pitch on Friday. Yeah. And let's say they get that game in, but Miami doesn't get to play. Now Miami's in a situation where you might have to play a doubleheader on Saturday or then a doubleheader on Sunday. I mean, I think that you wanted to play your game as early as possible. And as the host team, and knowing how the weather is in Miami, I'm kind of surprised they didn't. I guess trying to stay out of the heat is a factor in that as well, uh, by wanting to play the late game. But that, that's going to be interesting to me. If these games start getting moved around, who has the advantage? Like That's something to pay attention to. Who uses pitching? Again, another thing with, with the Cajuns, and you know, you talk about an advantage for the Cajuns potentially, how about if they play on Friday early on, and this regional gets pushed a couple days because that tropical disturbance comes in and kind of wrecks havoc on Saturday. And this regional gets pushed out to Monday, Tuesday to finish. You could bring back your pitchers from Friday, potentially, if you're pitching them on Tuesday, if you're playing a, a regional championship. Now, that's a long way away of projecting ahead, but that's also something that if, if these games start getting messed up you, weather-wise. You could also move the regional, I do believe. That well, would be we'll allowed see. due to natural... Uh, you know, a and natural again, it, disaster, you would move it maybe to, say, Orlando or someplace yeah, it, out of it, the, right. the storm's it path. It hasn't been said that the weather's going to be that bad to where you'd have to move it, but I think you're going to be getting constant rain showers here and there, and so that's another thing, too, like having multiple pitchers available, who feels... Now, Matt Deggs has kind of shown you he'll stick with guys because he threw Blake Marshall twice in the same day, so I don't Correct. know if he feels the same way about rain delays that some coaches do. But some coaches, when they throw their guys, they're done. Like, that guy's burned in the, in those coaches' minds. So, how does that play into this? I, there's a lot going on here. By the way, also, Texas, we're going to talk with Zachary Sim tomorrow. He's going to give us a better preview of the Longhorns. But they, they're missing a couple of key relievers. And, go ahead uh, go ahead and tell tell the folks. Well, yeah. No, they're missing two of their top relievers, and I think that's a big factor in this. And, and again, hey, the Cajuns are missing a couple of pitchers. Everybody's missing pitchers this time of the year, right? LSU miss, is missing some guys as well, and we've talked about it all season long. But... Heston Toll's a right-hander, David Shaw's a left-hander. They're two of their back-end bullpen guys, and that was announced that they're not going to be available. Uh, they are out for the season in this tournament, so that's another kind of layer to all of this. Now, Texas has a couple of starting arms that are top-tier guys that have the potential to be major league guys, and you're going to see one of them if you're the Cajuns, certainly. I don't know which one you're going to see, but you're going to see one of them. Um, so that's already going to be a task in its own right. But, again... Let's say they throw one of their top-tier ace guys. He throws 40 or 50 pitches, and this game gets a rain delay, and Texas feels like he's burned. Now you have opportunities. I just think there's weather being a factor in a regional like this where it's not just, oh, we could have a rain shower here or there. We could have consistent disruptions. That becomes a legitimate factor, just like the Cajuns' ability to steal bases is a factor. You know what I mean? I think it's a fascinating regional. The weather's going to play a role. The amount of quality teams and teams that are hot heading into that regional is going to play a role. And look, we say this all the time on this show. This is baseball. You can never take anything for granted. You can never say that's going to be a dub. Ever. Ever. My Braves, for example, played the Oakland Athletics, the team that's on pace for having the worst season in the history of Major League Baseball. And all I was told is, oh, you're going to get an easy win. Well, they got a win yesterday to avoid being swept by the Athletics. Anything can happen. This is baseball. And especially in a regional format, you have one bad game. 
you're done, right? You have one bad game if you're Miami, then you've put yourself in a position where you're playing additional games and have to go through the loser's bracket in your own regional. So anything can happen. That's what makes baseball, well, that's what makes baseball amazing. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk a little Katie and a cane cutters. They're gearing up for their home opener tonight at Fallbacher Field. We'll hear from the cane cutters, in particular, Coach Darian Dukes. That's next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, there's always, um, because, you know, everybody that plays sports wants to have that feeling at the end because there's no, it doesn't matter if you're in T-ball or wherever, um, college, professional, you know, I've won them, you know, in college, I've won them in, um, I won one in professional baseball and, you know, now here, and it, it's the feeling's the same. I mean, you big, long grind all summer and, um, and, to get the win one, you want that feeling again. But there is going to be, there is going to be some pressure, um, you know, to win, win another one. That's Skipper Darian Dukes, the man in charge of the Kitty and a Keen Cutters, who opened up their season the other night with a win over the Baton Rouge Rougarou on the road in the season opener. But we'll be opening up their home slate tonight there at Fallbacher Field. I've been to Fallbacher Field a few times, covered a couple of Cane Cutters games, even went as a fan a few times. I've always enjoyed myself out there with the Cane Cutters. A little Texas Collegiate League action. Of course, I'm a veteran of the TCL, covering the Alexandria Aces back in the day before they were disbanded and Bringhurst Field was partially burned down. Shout out to history. Cane Cutters are looking to make history. They want to win back-to-back league championships last year. They did just that. Can they do it again this year? And more importantly, the the teams change drastically in the TCL because you're using college players that are currently in, in college, right? And that's how you put together your roster. Some guys are going to join your team, but they're not going to join your team until after they're done playing in NCAA regionals or even super regionals. So you kind of have to, you know, do a balancing act a little bit. And but Coach Dukes already likes what he's seeing out of this team early on during practice as they gear up for the home opener tonight? Um, well, you know, we've had one BP today, 
or yesterday, and um, I'm looking, I'm looking for us to be able to manufacture runs, um, steal some bases. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure that we have the same power we did last year, so we're going to have to play a little more small ball. And when we take BP today, we're going to, we're going to focus on um, getting the bunts down, moving some runners, and stuff like that. Fundamentals. That that's the thing that's always an immense challenge, Dawson, for teams in this league is that you get the guys and you literally only have like a handful of practices before you start playing games, and your roster is continually being adjusted to because of the college season. So you don't have a whole lot of time of developing team chemistry. And we had Coach Dukes on a few weeks back here on the show, and he kind of you know he spoke about that. It's it's an immense challenge for any team. Once again, Cade Cutters open up the home slate tonight at Fallbacher Field. A certain producer extraordinaire is going to be on the uh, call for the TCL stream. What's his name again? Is it James Mesh? No, not quite. No. Not quite Mesh. It, no, um, no, it's some other guy. But some other guy. Uh, yeah, no. The, the cool thing about these leagues, though, in addition to the you, you talk about the inability to gain team chemistry, but also there's kind of a a quick bond because you're living, you know, essentially living together, right? I mean, some of these guys yes. are coming in and staying with host families or whatever else. And I mean, it's just baseball, right? You're on the road, you're playing almost every night, not, not quite like a major league schedule, but you're playing a lot. Um, and you'll have some road trips mixed in there as well, of course, with uh 20, I mean, 20, think about that 24 home games. So, you know, and I don't know the exact number on road games, but you're playing almost, you know, 40, 50 games in a, in a very concentrated amount of time. So uh, it, it's an opportunity to, You'll be really close with these guys by the end of the summer, certainly. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, man, whew, what we got in store for you? Bill Frank has the voice of Alex Box Stadium going to help us preview the Baton Rouge Regional Talk a little LSU baseball. That's coming up at 7.30. We'll talk more about the NBA Finals. That's coming up tonight, game one between the Nuggets and the Heat and We'll give you the latest updates on the poll question of the day. And we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's always open. You know that. 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Pars III, better known as RP3, joined inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire. We're talking the five-tool player of the game, Dawson Iserlo. You know him as the producer extraordinaire, yes? You know him as a guy that can go cover games, write blogs, checks those that box as well, correct? Did you know that also he's going to be the guest host extraordinaire today, filling in for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. His foot is traveling to Miami for the Coral Gables Regional. Boom, that's three tools. Did you know that he's going to be on the call for the 
Acadiana King Cutters, Texas Collegiate League Extreme. That's four tools. And the fifth tool, producer, one. Blogger, two. Play-by-play man, three. Guest host, four. The fifth one, fabulous dancer. Done. Done. Five tools. Well, the fifth one is certainly um, wrong, but I would like you to record the first part of that segment for me. I need to clip that and attach it to my resume for the future. I appreciate that. Um, But, yeah, no, not that. Um, (laughs) No, he says. No, no. But, yeah, it should be be a busy weekend here. It It is. Look, can we talk? Let's start there. It is going to be a jam-packed weekend. Yeah. Cane Cutters open up their home slate tonight. We have NBA Finals tipping off tonight between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. That leads us to our poll question of the day, and we'll get to more of that here momentarily. We have NCAA Regionals double elimination format beginning tomorrow. One of my favorite weekends of the year. One of your favorite weekends of the year. It's like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament for you. Yeah, no, and it's and I said it's it, it might be better because college baseball was you know kind of has a special place in my heart, so it's uh it's up there. The cane cutters play tomorrow night as well, so I have that one too. So I got to figure out a couple of screens to have going um in the press box there over at Fallbacher Field. I hope there's enough outlets in that facility um because I got to have regionals on somewhere somewhere on the side. Um, but luckily the Cajuns and LSU both play early, so I'll be able to kind of watch the games of the teams we cover. Kind of have that is correct. Have the notepad out. Be ready for that. And if you're unable to listen to the LSU Tulane game from the Baton well, where, Rouge where Regional, where would I be able to listen to that? You'd be able to listen to that right here on the of game. Of course, I would. You're home exactly. for LSU athletics in Southwest Louisiana. First pitch is scheduled for two o'clock between the Tigers and the Green Wave. I will be there at the box. I'll cover that for the website as well, and we'll have our guy Matthew Miguel Miguez covering the Cajuns game remotely for us from the Coral's Gable Regional. So we'll have both of those up for you at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com tomorrow. So you'll have that. So, yeah, regionals, NBA finals, uh, Stanley Cup finals are going on as well. Start Saturday, yes. Yeah, they start Saturday, right? They start Saturday. We got the Vegas Knights taking on the Florida Panthers. Yes, as Foot did point out, kind of funnily, a a desert team against a beach team in the hockey finals, as we all drew up. Right? I I'm old enough to remember when Canada was still relevant for the national hockey. Man, league. how long? It's been a while too for Canada. It's it's kind of Ooh, um. It's been it's was the last team that actually even played for the Stanley Cup, Calgary. It's it's been a long. Has it time. been that long? I think it. It's I been think the Flames. Has. Wow. And I just know just hockey just came out of my mouth just somehow, and I, I believe it was accurate. I don't know what that's going on. You're welcome, Mr. Green, if you're out there listening. Shout out to Jamie, hockey fan. So both of those teams looking to win their first Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you go ahead and allow yourself to go ahead and plan what you're going to do with the Stanley Cup? Because, you know, it's notoriously uh, travels with right. the winner um, uh, to different locations and used in a variety of ways. Some of them we can talk about on the air and some of them yeah, we cannot. Yeah, I, I would say you probably try to win game one before you start planning the um, – <laughs> Planning the use of the cup, but you know, I mean, I'm it is. Saying. That's like saying. that's like picking out your, you know, which which functions the Masters jacket's going to go with before the go. tournament starts. You might want to shoot a. Have you, know, you a nice ever round put first. your hands on a championship trophy? Well, of course I have. What do you, what do you mean? We, we won a couple of titles back in the back in the little league days. I'm I'm talking about marquee, like yeah. world champions. Yeah, I mean the U Triple 
tournament championship is about <laughs> as big as it gets. 12U, man. We were a powerhouse. Outstanding. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It depends where we're drawing the line. Um, College football. No, playoff yeah. national I, championship trophy. I've been and seen um, a couple of them. When I went to Alabama, I actually got to tour Alabama's facility. They got a few of those. You know about that. Um, so got to see them very up close. And but I wasn't able to hold it. No, wasn't a, they, they didn't. They didn't let the uh, the non recruited. I wasn't able to hold it, but I was able to take a that. photo by it at same, SEC Media same. Days last year. And but I have touched the Grey Cup. Okay. Yeah, it came when we put in a former Grey Cup champion, uh, CFL great, into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. They actually brought the Grey Cup down for the induction weekend, and we got to uh, touch it and take photos. Yeah, with I'm it. a lifelong Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan. Oh, I don't see, know about you. see, hockey and CFL 708. You're welcome, mm-hmm. all you Canadians out there listening. Obviously, mm-hmm. on the free mobile app. Which we've, is available for both Android and Apple devices. Did you know had that? A, uh, no, I did. And actually, um, you speak of can- Canadian. I just got done, of course, calling LSU. LSU got a guy from Canada on their roster. Oh, I, was, I remember the first time I read that. I said, wait a minute. It's Everybody on the roster was from like Texas, Louisiana, and then there was a Canadian. So that was cool. Um, I've been to Canada, by the way, on oh, vacation. I mean, we're kind of just all over the place here. I, I can't Toronto, track, but um, very clean city. I'm very I, happy I remember. To hear also that. went to the uh, Niagara Falls, both on the American and the Canadian side. Yeah, wildly different experiences. By right, the way, right, yes, right. Yes, okay. There we go. Poll question of the day. <laughs> that yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> all, all the Canadian talk. What will happen in the NBA Finals, which tip off tonight, Game One there in Denver? Jokic Murray will be taking on Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys no one else wanted. Right now, 63% of you say Denver wins in six or less. 16% say Miami wins in six or less. Shout out to all our Miami Heat fans out there. 11% of you say Denver in seven. It's going to go seven. And 10% of you say Miami in seven. Let's get to some early comments, shall we? How about our guy Salty Steve? He came in and delivered talking horse racing talk Louisiana Legends night for us yesterday. He says, Denver's sweet. Miami is so outmanned, it isn't funny. This is the version of David versus Goliath where David pulls out his sling and Goliath kicks the ever-loving tar out of him. John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, Well, I do love a good underdog story, and an eight-seed versus a one-seed is a great story. I get that Denver, on paper, appears to be the team. Would I be surprised if this is a gentleman's sweep? You know, I'm old enough to remember... Allen Iverson and a bunch of dudes, because that's what that 76ers team was that made it to the finals. <laughs> and I remember that's the classic stepping over Ty Lu game. And they take game one against Kobe and Shaq, Phil Jackson coached Lakers dynasty. And they take game one. And you're like, oh, man, AI, the answer. I believe he was the MVP that year. And then... L.A. takes the next four games and it's over. I would not be surprised if Miami is able to steal a game early in this uh, in this series. Denver may be a little rusty. And Miami has been known for stealing games early in series their entire playoff run. But can Miami do enough of that? That's what I don't know. Like, I, I don't believe they're going to get swept. 
A gentleman sweep, though, I could see, and I definitely like Denver to win in six games or less. That's how I voted on the poll question of the day. I, yeah, I went six. Six is my is my instinct because I just think Miami wills themselves to a couple of games in this series, no matter if it's early or late. I I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, you see, there is a scenario in which you see that freight train that is Denver just keep rolling. I think that's something that it's interesting. But I will say this: I wouldn't be shocked if if Miami got game one. Um, and again, now. There's conflicting arguments here, right? Will Miami be fatigued because they had to go to seven games? They had to grind out a win on the road against Boston, although it wasn't all that difficult in game seven, versus the fact that Denver had the long layoff. So Denver may be the more well-rested team, but we know how being rusty with your shooting you know, specifically can affect you from the outside. Um, now, Denver feels like a team that maybe isn't as prone to that because Jokic can find ways to get them going so many different ways offensively. But I do wonder, does Denver play a little rusty in game one and does Miami kind of carry over that momentum? But then on the other hand, right, you know, like I'm saying, there's two sides to that. Does Miami play a little sluggish just because they had to exert more energy than Denver did in the conference finals? Because Denver got it done in a sweep and Denver hasn't played in, what, almost two weeks at this point. Almost, yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. So NBA Finals tonight. Speaking of basketball, breaking news here. This is the time, the last couple days, you saw a lot of it yesterday, of guys withdrawing their names from the NBA draft, including the player of the year. Well, good news, Raging Cajun fans. Could be good news. Maybe. I would say maybe. Raging Cajun star Jordan Brown has withdrawn from the NBA drafts. Obviously, he averaged 19 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and 1 block in route to being named the Lou Henson Player of the Year, first-team All-Sunbelt and Sunbelt Tournament MVP, former McDonald's All-American with one year of eligibility remaining. Obviously, Jordan has played at Nevada, Arizona, and now with the Raging Cajuns. He's a high-profile guy for a mid-major. We know how the NCAA transfer portal works these days. This gives you hope that he could return back to the Raging Cajuns and play another year, which would make a huge difference for Bob Marlin's squad. This could also be an indicator that one of the big boys is coming calling. But right. again, and hey, Jordan, your last year of eligibility, won't you come play for us and increase your draft stock even more so? Now, there's layers to this. And, and, and so John Chapkovich tweeted that out, by the way. I think he's with Draft Express. The wording of his tweet, now, since he's the only person that I've seen report this, you'd imagine that he was told something by someone. He didn't indicate that Brown was likely to return to UL or anything like that. He no. said, with one year of eligibility. The way the tweet is worded makes it sound like he's you know considering options here. Um, now, again, maybe that's reading too much into that. I don't know. But the other end of that, I will say, there's some, I think as a grad transfer too, I think that changes things, but he has transferred twice. So I was under the impression last year that he was going to have to sit out if he transferred. I, I think that changes with the grad transfer stuff. So again, you know, look, you'd have to, to become an expert on the NCAA rulebook, you'd have to study it for six years. But I, I would have to find out, you know, whether some of those are options or not. 
Um, I'm not convinced that, and we've kind of talked about this before. Jordan's been to bigger schools. He's he's been, and he was a. Play, it's not like he sat the bench, and that's why he transferred. He was a factor. He's a six man of the year. Uh, in the I, be, I believe in what the whack his first year there. I'm, the wiggity wiggity whack. Um, he was a he was a Pac-12. He 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 earned honors in the Pac-12 as well. So he's played at the bigger schools, and he's talked about the fact that he's enjoyed more his time in Louisiana. Now, is that something Once you again, say while you're there? Maybe. He's also a legacy. His father right. played and starred for the Cajuns. So so it's a step in the right direction that he withdrew his name from the from the draft for the Cajun fans, but. We'll have to wait and see. Um, if, if there's a, maybe there will be a, a big uh, ceremonious Twitter announcement that he's returning, or maybe we'll get that. Uh, and the unfortunate thing is sometimes you see the graphic pop up and you got to read uh, three paragraphs. It might say at the very end, thank I wish those were only three paragraphs long. Well, yeah, sometimes they're three pages oh, long. Oh, um, and the grammar is not right. Well, sometimes <laughs> it's great, though. I think it depends on the writer. I think that's, uh, that's all relative. But you'll either have to, you'll either see that, you know. I'm running it back. Welcome, you know, Cajun Nation. Let's do it. Or let's maybe go. you might see the thank you for everything, Cajun Nation. I'm entering my name in the portal with one year of eligibility. And that's... I'm taking my talents to Baton Rouge. That's not even in my thought process yet, but you're just throwing out possibilities. <laughs> just, throwing out. I'm throwing out worst case scenarios is what I'm throwing out. Look, Jordan, you're right. And he has talked about this and he's been very transparent about how much he's loved playing for the Cajuns. Right? He played in the bigger conferences he played at another school. Now he's playing at where his dad played at. He got to go to the NCAA tournament last year. But we know how the transfer portal works. And I just make a joke about LSU. But this is what it works. You know, they let the smaller conferences, they let the group of five conferences, or they even let the conferences below that do all the work. And then they just go in and poach the guys. That's how this works now. And, of course, NIL would be a factor in any of this. Um, and, and teams putting together their mm-hmm. best package deal is now, you know, something that we used to joke about of course, being obviously very much against the rules now, it's joked about because it's in actuality and it's, it's, it's reality. part of the rules. Yes, even though it was happening before at times, of course, now it's happening within the guidelines of, I guess, the framework that's allowed in the NCAA, which still is uh, just in a, in a in a difficult state to understand, I would think. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say step in the. It's it's like a it, it's got to be a mixed feeling for a Cajun fan, myself included. In that it's like here we go, now let's wait and see. We saw Themis Folks enter his name in the portal and then come right back out a couple of days later. Like you just don't know in today's day and age. But the big caveat being, but if Jordan Brown's back, the Cajuns' outlook for next year changes completely. Changes drastically. So we'll keep an eye on that, monitor that as we move forward. Speaking of moving forward, looking ahead, if you will, that's what we'll do next here on RP3 and Company because. Some of the early season games for football for both LSU and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Times have now been set for some of those games. We'll dive into that a little bit, give you a preview of what's to come in the fall. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. 
back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and company right here on the game. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. Of course, he is the producer extraordinaire. Coming up, Bill Franquez will be joining us, the voice of Alex Box Stadium. Help us preview the Baton Rouge Regional, talk a little LSU baseball. Speaking of the Tigers, while we have a few minutes here on the show, we've started to find out some game times for early season games for the fall for football season. We know that LSU is opening up against Florida State down at Camping World Stadium in lovely Orlando, Florida, Labor Day weekend. That will be that Sunday night game, the primetime game, the only game that will be on the airwaves. That's how they're going to open up. But now we know what's going to happen in weeks two and in weeks three. Week two will be against Grambling. That will be the home opener. That will be under the lights in Death Valley, 6.30 kick. That's what you like to see. So, primetime Labor Day weekend game against Florida State on a Sunday by itself. Awesome. LSU fan, then you get under the lights for the home opener. Get to tailgate all day and then cheer on the Tigers to a victory over the other Tigers from North Louisiana. And then comes the opening of SEC play. And when I saw this, I went, gross. They open up SEC play on the road at Mississippi State. And they get a Saturday morning kick in Davis Wade Stadium with the Fighting Cowbells. 11 a.m. kick. Gross. Gross. Yeah. First of all, you have to open up SEC play against Mississippi State. Second of all, it's on the road, and it's at 11 o'clock? What is this, Jefferson Pilot days? LSU's going to be a top 15, top 10 team. You think I got them kicking off at 11 o'clock? Not ideal. Somewhat gross. Which means Tiger fans that will be making the short trip to Starkville will not be able to get their tailgating in as much as they'd like to. I'm a little surprised at your surprise about, like, there's 11 a.m. games every week, every year. Is this surprising? Mississippi State's, you know, not supposed to be very good. I just feel like they somebody's got to play at 11. Yeah, but if you have a marquee team right, that's going to be ranked, you typically, you, you typically don't, but you, you typically don't try to put them at, in the early morning. Early morning is the old Jefferson Pilot time of you're not old enough to really remember Jefferson Pilot Sports. Not at all. Of you put your least marquee game on the docket. I mean Well, right, but you gotta think too, this it's ESPN. I'm just going with history here, Dawson. No, I know. I'm just saying there's uh, it, eleven AM games and, and you know, it happens. It's surpri- and I it, it's surprising because LSU is supposed to be a contender. It's surprising because LSU is a name brand. It's surprising because it's the SEC opener for LSU, and it's going to be at 11 o'clock. If this was in the middle of the season, they'd already opened up SEC play, then it wouldn't be a surprise. But this is their SEC opener. So it's a bit of a surprise. A team that's supposed to be a contender, a team that is going to be more than likely picked to win the West or at least finish second and be in the mix for the college football playoff, 
being playing at 11 o'clock in week number three. That's the I surprise. I'm surprised it. that you were surprised. Everybody's surprised. It's all it's all good. The man is coming after me. No, surprised. He was he was upset Didn't because I used the it. word surprised. flummoxed earlier. No, I actually was very excited about that. The big college that was a good word, word guy. That big was college a good word. word. Showing off that Florida State education. No, just that was a good word. It was. Thank you. Now, to things that I do like. Yes. It involves the Cajuns. First of all, Sunbelt Conference. For the first time ever, the Sunbelt Conference championship game is going to be on ABC. That's a big deal. That's a well, good thing. It says considered, though. Does that mean they're going to flex either the the, the American game with the Sunbelt game? Because I saw it says slash. I was confused by that post. Maybe I have it wrong. You are buzz Killington at seven. I'm so, I, I, I the just, man I wanted clarification. Is my buzz. I just wanted clarification. Killing my buzz. Just wet blanket this morning over here. It's a glorious day for you, and you're being a wet blanket. For the first time ever, <laughs> the Sunbelt football championship game is in contention for in contention. There it is. the 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central slot on ABC. Now, if the two teams are Pabon and there's another better matchup, that obviously they won't be on ABC, but... This at least opens up the door, yes. which is a positive, Dawson. Oh, it's good. No, it's good. There I we just, go. I thought it was. There yeah, I thought it was convenient, clever wording by the Sun Belt, which I look. I go. Yes, I'm, we're trying yes. to grow the brand. I appreciate. Oh it. yeah. Oh, hashtag Fun Belt. Yeah. You know they have a championship belt that you can uh, put on and wear during Sun Belt Media Days. I've done it I twice. Seen that. I don't know if you're supposed to be allowed to do that, but I go ahead and just grab it and put it on anyway. <laughs> okay. I have photographic evidence. Now. That is a great opportunity for the conference and would be a great opportunity if the Cajuns can win, get back to winning the West. Now, let's look at their times, which I'm a big fan of. Opening up the season versus Northwestern State, shout out to the Demons. If, if part of their agreement should be bringing down delicious meat pies for, um, from Natchitoches, should be part of that agreement. We'll pay you to play us in our season opener, Demons, but you have to bring down bushels of delicious meat pies for the fans inside Cajun Field. What do we think? Is that something Dr. Brian Maggard can make happen? Potentially. All right. That's 6.30. Primetime ESPN+, Plus, but you get a night game, which I love for the Cajuns. See? They don't have to play at 11 a.m. Then they're going to be at ODU, ESPN Plus game, 5 o'clock. I like that as well, Dawson, because you're having to travel across the country. You get more time to prepare, more time to get ready for that game, so you don't have to play at 11 a.m. or even at 2.30 in the afternoon. That's a good thing. Then they're at UAB the following week, the 16th. That's going to be a night game as well on ESPN Plus, 6 o'clock kick. And then the game against Southern Miss is going to be at 6.30. 30 on ESPNU off the plus on the ESPNU so I like what I see here for the Raging Cajuns for their schedule and by the way they don't have to play at 11 a.m. yet but that might yet. come um, yes. but that Southern Miss game by the way a Thursday so that's their one weekday which it's certainly better to have one they've had uh, oh, they've had so many past. of those um, terrible games so that's a Thursday game now I probably won't mind it any much as more because it'll uh, that wasn't English I probably won't mind it as much anymore 
Um, given my scenario now with working, it's going to be easy to cover, you know, to be at a Correct. Thursday game. But Correct. In the past, when I was in Tallahassee at night class, I was always trying to watch a game on my phone. It was it was a hassle. Um, but no, that's all good. And I think, look, that Southern Miss game, that's that's the new rivalry, right? We've seen it in baseball. It's it's expanding there in football. Cajuns kind of got stunned a little bit by Frank Gore Jr. and the uh, Golden Eagles last year, so that's going to be kind of a marquee game. It's an old school rivalry as well. Yeah, no, and it's it's yes. it, I think it's good. And and the Sun Belt, I love what they've done, like kind of digging into these regional rivalries. It's something that most conferences are going away, uh, i.e. the uh, Pac-12 joining the Big gross. Ten and just ridiculous. When we're going to have, I can't wait for that track meet where uh, Northwestern faces UCLA on a Tuesday night, and we're going to have to fly kids across the country or make it. No, no, that's not even the worst part. No. How about UCLA taking on Rutgers? Yeah, no, in 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 like you know lacrosse, and they're just traveling. <laughs> Uh, 700 miles, well, more than that. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, Look, the Sunbelt West, and we'll have plenty of time to get into this, but I think Troy is the clear-cut favorites. They bring back a ton of talent. South Alabama is going to be right there as well with Carter Bradley. Um, But then that next tier, I think, is the Cajuns and Southern Miss. Who out of that group can kind of jump up and challenge in that division? I think that's going to be really exciting to see. Now, um, you know, again, I think that Troy team is just loaded. And they won 11 games last year and brought, or 12 games, including the bowl game, and brought back most of their guys. Um, but we'll see if the Cajuns have something for them. And they still have a lot of unanswered questions, but potential. Correct. Potential's there. And you mentioned Carter Bradley. He'll be a counselor at the Manning Passing Academy along with Jaden Daniels. By How the about way. that? There you go. We had to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk LSU baseball with Bill Franco as the voice of Alex Box Stadium. That's next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers will begin NCAA regional play tomorrow afternoon at Alex Box Stadium. They're in Baton Rouge. They're the host. They're taking on Tulane, the old rival. That'll be at 2 o'clock. Of course, you can listen to the game live right here on the game. First pitch at 2. Obviously, I will also be in attendance covering the game for 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. To talk more about this regional and the LSU baseball team, is a man who's considered the voice of Alex Box Stadium, the longtime baseball sports information director, Bill Franquez, joins us now. Bill, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Hey, Raymond, good morning. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to uh, our first regional here in Baton Rouge in four years, which, which is kind of hard to believe. But uh, 2019 was the last time we played host to a, an event like this. So, man, we're excited. It's going to be, uh, I think it'll be a great uh, weekend here Uh Looking forward to college baseball postseason is uh, you know, always extremely exciting, and we're so happy to be back in a hosting role. Uh, it never gets old hosting postseason baseball at the box, does it? Not at all. You know, this is, <laughs> you know, as you said, as you described me, longtime uh, sports information director, and that's certainly true because uh, this will be the 27th time uh, LSU has hosted a regional. And the only one I wasn't around for was the very first one back in 1986. But uh, ever since I've been here for the, for the following 26 regionals, 
And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't get old. Uh, even though this is number uh, 26 for me and number 27 overall, uh, it, it's all, you know, so many tremendous memories have been created uh, during this time of the year for LSU baseball. And, of course, uh, it's the gateway to Omaha. It's where the road to Omaha begins. And that's naturally where uh, all college baseball teams want it to end. So we're, um, it's going to be a very special week, I believe. You know, Bill, you've been around this program and have uh, been part of the program for, for decades now. You've seen a lot of great players come through. And when we think of the outstanding players that have come through and have worn the purple and gold, I always think of Ben McDonald. I think of Todd Walker. Those are the two that spring to mind. But I don't remember a time where LSU had, without a doubt, the best pitcher in the country and the best hitter in the country playing at the same time. How special is it the fact that Cruz and Skeens are on the same team at the same time. No, you're right. I think it's a very, very special and very unique. And you think about all the great players uh, over the year, players and pitchers over the years. And uh, you know, Ben McDonald was here, but uh, in 1987 to 89, was of course a great pitcher. Todd Walker was here from 92 to 94, tremendous hitter. Another tremendous hitter, and Eddie Furness was here from. 95 to 98. Um, uh, Aaron Nola, uh, you know, arguably, uh, you know, whipped Ben McDonald prior to this year, uh, the greatest pitcher in LSU history. Aaron was here in, in 13 and 14. Uh, I guess the, the closest thing would be uh, Alex Bregman and Aaron Nola were on the team uh, simultaneously um, for two years, 2013 and 2014. Uh, Bregman was a fresh uh, freshman and sophomore, and Noah was a sophomore and junior. Now, they, I don't think they quite had the impact on the team that Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens do, or the impact nationally that those two guys have. Now, Bregman and Noah, as we know, both tremendous players, but uh, they didn't uh, perhaps draw as much attention as these two guys will certainly from an MLB draft standpoint, because they're still projected to be the, the top two picks in the draft uh, in July. So, yeah, it's very unique. Uh, again, the, the only thing that comes close is when uh, Alex Bregman and Aaron Nola were here um, in the early 2010s. And, that, you know, and that's over a three-decade span since I've been here. So, yeah, it's, it's been a, uh, you know, tremendous to, to watch these two guys perform uh, in an LSU uniform. And we know this will be it for them. <laughs> Uh, you know, this weekend and hopefully next weekend will be the last times we'll see them in Alex Fox Stadium. So we're definitely going to savor uh, every moment we have with them. Well, Bill, when you take a look at this regional and the draw itself, the Tigers get a you know a regional rivalry in Tulane, a team that of course stunned everybody by getting here. But they also get Oregon State, a team who they've run into in regional play a couple of times in somewhat recent memory. What did you think of the overall draw and now how the uh, the Tigers can navigate this these matchups? Yeah, um, you know, uh, Tulane, of course, was a stunner. <laughs> uh, although I will say, uh, back when LSU played Tulane in New Orleans on April 11th, at the time, the Green Wave record was 9-24. and And Jay Johnson, our head coach, after the game, which we won 11-5, to uh, he said that Tulane was much better than its record indicated. They, got, they, had a, they played a very challenging non-conference schedule early with I believe three of their first four weekends were on the road all, all on the west coast and uh you know they had some struggles early so I think their record was a little misleading even at that time in mid-April 
And Jay commented that uh, that Tulane team was going to make noise in the American Athletic Conference for the rest of the year, and, and they, in fact, did. Uh, they didn't finish especially strong in the regular season. I believe they were the number seven seed in that conference tournament. But, man, they found it last week in winning the, the uh, AAC tournament. And I, I know that uh, LSU is expecting a big-time challenge from them. I mean, a team that's hot, right? That's what it's all about. It's how you're playing at this time of the year, and they are certainly playing at a very high level. So I know that's going to be a great matchup tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Now, don't ask me who's pitching because I have no idea. <laughs> uh, Jay told me uh, yesterday, he said, I'll let, you, I'll let everyone know 90 minutes before the game who's pitching. So I guess we'll find out around 12.30 tomorrow. And then Oregon State, yeah, man, we, uh, Oregon State uh, was here in 2012. Uh, for a regional, we had two tremendous games with them. LSU won that regional. Uh, famously, in 2017, LSU met Oregon State twice in the College World Series. Uh, fans may remember Oregon State was number one in the nation with a record of 56-6 and six that year. And LSU defeated Oregon State twice uh, to advance to the College World Series finals. And the very next year, we went to Corvallis in 2018 to the regional host of Oregon State. And they, they handed it to us pretty good. They beat us twice in that regional, and that, that Oregon State team went on to win the national championship. So definitely some history there with the Beavers. They have an un, uh, outstanding program. They've won three national championships uh, within the last uh, 16, 17 years. So that's, they're going to be a huge challenge, as is, as is Sam Houston. You know, we played Sam Houston early in the year, uh, the second week of the season in the Round Rock Classic in Texas. And they were one of the – Jay commented at the time that they he thought they were one of the best hitting teams he had seen in a while. And they do put up some big-time offensive numbers. So, yeah, uh, all three of these clubs uh, provide some uh, very uh, difficult challenges, and it should be a very competitive weekend. Well, you mentioned Jay Johnson's not going to make any announcements about pitching, and he kind of mentioned that he's not going to make any announcements moving forward about pitching until the games right. kind of come up. but. Right. What do you think the pitching staff needs to do then as a whole, and whether it's Skeens in the second game, the first game, the third game, and then kind of piecing it together around that, what do you think they have to do to win a regional and then move on and potentially win a Super? You know, I will say, the, of course, the, the bullpen's taken a lot of heat uh, in recent weeks, and it's been a depleted bullpen because we lost uh, three big-time arms over the course of the season. Uh, Grant Taylor, Chase Shores, and Garrett Edwards, all guys who would be major pieces in the bullpen right now if they were healthy. However, uh, you know one of the, the bright spots of the SEC tournament last week was uh, the bullpen. Uh, Nate Ackenhausen, who's been bothered by a hamstring injury for a large, large portion of the season, he pitched really well in relief against South Carolina in our first game. Riley Cooper, um, another left-hander, who's had a kind of an up-and-down year, but his last few outings have been strong, and he was great in relief against Arkansas in our second game in the SEC tournament, had seven strikeouts in uh, a three and two-thirds innings. So, along with guys like Gavin Guidry, who's a freshman uh, who's developing into a, a real a real poised, um, reliable relief pitcher, I think you know the bullpen definitely looks like it's developed in, in, in a positive direction. So that's going to be a big-time uh, boost to LSU this weekend. Uh, starting pitching, we know about Skeens. Uh, Ty Floyd, I think, has been very solid. Uh, he'll st- certainly start one of the games. Skeens will start one of the games. So I guess the question is, uh, if 
you play, assuming you're playing a minimum of three games, who would be the other starter? I think you know Thatcher Hurd certainly is a big time candidate in that regard. Thatcher was great as a starting pitcher uh, in Game One of the SEC tournament against South Carolina. He was really great in relief uh, the final weekend of the regular season when the Tigers beat Georgia in Game One in Athens. Uh, look, looks really sharp, and he looks like he's finally uh, pitching to the level that we expected when he signed as a, uh, you know, a pretty uh, high-profile transfer out of UCLA. Uh, had some early season problems, but it looks like now he's really uh, finding his, his rhythm. So uh, I think the pitching staff has an opportunity to to make a big impact, and, and to, you know, it's not going to be. A, hopefully, it won't be a situation where LSU has to outscore everybody. We know how great LSU's offense is, uh, leading the SEC in almost every offensive category, among the top offensive teams in the nation. And uh, for them not to have the pressure of trying to outscore everyone would be uh, a tremendous help. Obviously, if the, if the pitching staff can continue to to develop and build on the signs of progress that we saw in the SEC tournament. Bill, we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, obviously, lots of talk and lots of focus about Dylan Cruz and about Tommy and about this lineup. But but the guy yeah. that always kind of stood out to me as kind of a great player that's been under the radar and maybe underappreciated by the fans, definitely not underappreciated by Jay, is Trey Morgan. He's versatile. Yeah. He always seems to come up big for this team. Yeah. Is he kind of the unsung hero of uh, of this team this year? I think you're right. Uh, Trey, his numbers may not reflect it, but that guy gives you a competitive, great at bat every time. Even when he every out he makes is a loud out. He always he seems to. He, first of all, he he rarely strikes out. He's always going to put the ball in play. And when he does put it in play, he hits it hard somewhere. Now, unfortunately for him, a lot of times he's hitting it hard right at somebody. But, man, he is just he's developed so much. And you're right, Jay just raves about the guy because not only because of his ability, but just his work ethic. And the thing that Jay really stresses is how tough Trey Morgan is. He's played through so many bumps and bruises and injuries, a lot of things that would keep many players completely out of a game. Trey plays through pain. He plays hurt, and uh, he—he's given everything he has this year. If you ask Jay who's he most proud of on the team right now, he'd probably say Trey Morgan, because of the way Trey has developed as a person, as a player, and because simply just how how tough he is and how he he doesn't ever want to come out of a game. And he's so versatile, as you guys have seen. You know, he plays. We know how brilliant he is at first base, but he's played a, an outstanding left field this year as well, and he's willing to play anywhere. Uh, to help LSU win. So, yeah, that's a great point. I think Trey Morgan is a guy, obviously, with a huge future in pro baseball. But I uh, know he he is uh, very focused upon getting to Omaha for the first time in his career. You know, none of these players have ever been to Omaha, obviously, except uh, Riley Cooper, who transferred from Arizona, and Christian Little, who transferred from Vanderbilt. They were on teams who'd been to Omaha. But uh, otherwise, you know, these guys – uh, haven't been there, and LSU hasn't been there since 2017, so I know they're very focused on, on reaching that goal. Bill, always appreciate your time, brother. Keep up the tremendous work with everything that you do with the LSU baseball program. I'll see you tomorrow at the box, my friend. All right, man. Sounds great. Thank you all so much.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, the New Orleans Saints added some depth yesterday as they signed veteran tight end Jesse James. Admittedly, I thought he was out of the league. I was surprised that he was still even in the league. Now, has Jesse been, is Jesse James going to be Jimmy Graham? Nope. But Jesse can block. He was robbed on one bad call that could have changed the career path in that Pittsburgh playoff game, and you know the one I'm talking about. I know right? which one you're talking That's about. A catch, man, come on. Now. It was it was a catch. First four seasons he spent with the Steelers, then played two years with the Detroit Lions, and then was with the Bears in 2021. He allegedly was with the Browns, um, and now he joins them. Former Penn State Nittany Lion. Obviously, his best seasons were early in his career. He's only scored 12 touchdowns. And 157 catches for 1,500 yards. But he does one thing still really well. He's a physical blocker. So you add depth to your tight end room. Obviously, Foster Moreau, Jawan Johnson are your top two guys. But then you bring in someone like Jesse James. If he can make the cut, right? Feels like a camp body. And if you can get him to, you know, make the roster, great. But he's there now. Lucas Kroll is a guy that they're pretty high on. They also signed another fullback, Jake Vargas. Went undrafted in 2020, signed by the Minnesota Vikings. Played two games for the Vikings, including a Christmas Day game against the Saints. So there you go. There you go. Adding depth, bud. It's all about depth. It's all about depth at this time of year. Hour number two is done. we still got one hour to go. We'll talk about the Saints and some Pels. With our guy, Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. He's going to be joining us next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Final hour of today's RP3 and company has arrived, but don't be sad. It's going to be a glorious hour. Don't be sad. We're going to have a ton of fun. Don't forget to vote on that poll question of the day. Get your votes in. Get your comments in. What will happen in the NBA Finals? Denver wins in six games or less. Miami wins in six games or less. Denver wins in seven. Miami wins in seven. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We're going to talk Tulane Greenway baseball coming up in half an hour as they gear up for the Baton Rouge Regional after an improbable run. 
at their own conference tournament. That's coming up. But right now, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints football as well as some New Orleans Pelicans basketball with our guy, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us now here on the show. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing outstanding. All right, bud, let's get right to it. Second week of OTAs, media availability is already in the rearview mirror for this week. Um, what stood out to you about what you saw and what stood out to you from what you heard? Well, uh, you know, as Dennis Allen put it after practice on Tuesday, they they looked like a team that had been off for four days, that the, the practice on Tuesday wasn't quite as clean as he would have liked, not shocking after, you know, they work three days in a row, take four days off, they're probably going to be a little bit sloppy. The first day back, all wound up on the ground a little bit more than they would like, and so uh, it wasn't the best practice, but, you know, that's what happens this time of year. They're, the main thing is that they're beginning from step one of installing the offense and the defense, and uh, it's more about learning and um, and timing and execution. He, uh, Alan said the effort was fine. He had no complaints there, just the execution wasn't great which, again, is not surprising uh, on the first day of the second week. So uh, an imperfect practice, but uh, nothing that uh, strikes me as being concerning. Uh, you know, Derek Carr threw the ball well again, and there's not a whole lot going on right now beyond the, the pitch-and-catch aspect that you can really zero in on, and they – they had um, you know, some good plays in the passing game, but again, they also had a, a few catches that could have been made that weren't made. Uh, so a little bit sloppy. We'll see next week, and then of course we'll have the uh, the mini camp the week after that, and before they break on June fifteenth. Less they also made a couple of moves free agents. Uh, see uh, yesterday bringing in Jesse James, the the veteran tight end, formerly Pittsburgh Steelers, and a couple other stops along the way. Uh, he's become known as a, a good physical blocker, not necessarily a pass-catching threat as his career has progressed. Uh, it, does he have a real chance of making this roster simply as a run-blocking tight end, or is this simply a guy they're bringing in for as a camp body at this point? Well, I think that they're bringing him in to take a look. I, I... I don't know that they brought him in with the expectation that he would make the roster, but for the most part, the, their tight ends that they already had on the roster are guys whose strength is more in the pass-catching aspect of the position than the blocking aspect. So I think that's an area where they feel like they have a chance to uh, – they, they could use some improvement in their blocking among the tight ends. And that's why they brought him in to see uh, if he can upgrade that area, whether he's good enough in that area to take a roster spot from somebody else, uh, I think is probably a, a long shot, but not out of the question. You know, Juwan Johnson's going to make the team. Uh, Taysom Hill's going to make the team, but his role is kind of uh, unusual because of his, his quarterback uh, participation and uh, you know Lucas Kroll is a, a young guy they like but he's also a guy who's 
you know, stronger in the passing game than in the blocking aspect. So, you know, he's in the mix, and they, they want to take a look at him because that's an area where they were lacking a bit. But I, I would say, the you know, whether he makes a team or not, it would require uh, a really good training camp and preseason on his part. Les, I kind of want to ask you about the secondary because that's one of the areas throughout the offseason where, on one hand, feel kind of good about the guys coming back and some of the steps that were taken specifically by the young cornerbacks in Elante Taylor last year. But at the safety position, you had a couple of veterans who somewhat underperformed, maybe came on at the end there, and then still some questions just about how Marcus May fits in long-term here. What is your takeaways early on about how that secondary is going to shape up for Dennis Allen? Well, I I think it's like a lot of areas on the team. If they're uh, if they're able to stay healthy, they're in pretty good shape. But you know, last year they Marshawn Lattimore, their best defensive back, uh, best cover corner, missed a lot of time, and uh, and that hurt them. And uh, if they're missing key players for an extended period of time, it's going to hurt them. But they have a uh, a pretty solid group. You're right, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew didn't really uh, live up to what they had hoped they would be last season. May was hurt somewhat early on. Tyron played better late. I think he got more comfortable in the defense. I think they're expecting both of those guys to have better seasons. This year they signed a couple of veteran free agents to add depth there, not real huge impact players, but uh, guys who hopefully upgrade the depth uh, at uh, safety. But I think the, the young guys, Paulson Adebo and Elante Taylor, and then you throw in another veteran and Bradley Roby, you mix those guys in with Marshawn Lattimore, and you have a lot of good cornerbacks, two of them very young, one going into his second year, one going into his third year. So I think they feel really good about the cornerback position, and they've addressed the depth at safety a little bit, uh, not with big names, but with veterans who have played in the NFL. So I think they feel good about what they have uh, up and down the roster in the secondary. The question is whether they can keep them healthy. And then the biggest key there, of course, is Lattimore, uh, who so far has not been on hand for the, the OTAs. Well, kind of along those same lines, and I know we've talked to you about this a little bit in the past, but that linebacker spot is really intriguing to me because Demario Davis is the longtime fixture there, but I think there's always kind of a concern when a guy gets to this point in his career, when's the fall-off coming? And so far it hasn't, you know, certainly hasn't been a severe fall-off, if any, um, but are they concerned about that, and do they have a plan if DeMario's play kind of suffers at some point here, or do they think he's still going to be you know, the capable first-team, all-pro-type linebacker? Yeah, I, I don't think they're expecting uh, anything less from uh, DeMario than they've seen in the past. Uh, you're right, it, you know, he's 34 years old. He's the oldest player on the team. He'll turn 35. Uh, in January, uh, you know, probably I believe it's actually during the season. So uh, age is going to become a factor at some point. But you know, it's kind of like Cam Jordan at defensive end. Yeah, yeah, age is going to creep in at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. And uh, they're hopeful, and I, I think expecting 
that it won't happen this year, but it's going to happen at some point uh, in the future. I don't think they've made any moves uh, to mitigate that because they don't think it's going to happen imminently. But, uh, you know, he and Pete Werner are clearly their their two best linebackers. Those are their starters when they play in nickel. When they're in base and they're going to play a a Sam linebacker, there's going to be a competition to see who that third guy is, and they haven't really addressed that situation in the offseason significantly, so the depth – is a bit of a question mark. So linebacker remains, I think, the one area that, that that's clearly their top target if they're able, if they're going to make a move to bring in somebody uh, as a free agent to try and bolster the roster. But at this point, it's uh, it's clearly Davis and Werner at the top, and then after that, it's kind of a mixed bag. We're talking with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company, talking Saints, talking Pels. Let's transition to the hardwood. Reports came out this week that the Pelicans are going to be shaking up their performance, training staff, whatever the terminology is that they use to describe the medical slash training staff. Uh, what do you make of what they're going to do? Well, you know, I don't think it's surprising that there are going to be some changes there. I don't, I don't think there are going to be changes at the top, but I think there are going to be. Uh, they are going to shake it up, as you said, David Griffin, and you know, I asked him about this specifically at the exit interview because, you know, this is multiple years now that they've not only had a lot of injuries. But the the main thing is that they have had, because everybody gets injuries, but they have had guys whose return from injury has taken much longer than the original prognosis, and there have been guys who have suffered setbacks during their rehab, and this has been a, a fairly common occurrence. And, and Griffin went out of his way to say, he, he didn't want people to say that the problems, the reason the team fell short of expectations last year is because of the medical staff, and yet the medical staff, like every other aspect of the team, needed to be evaluated. And I think given the ongoing problems they've had getting guys back in a timely fashion for multiple years now uh, was inevitably going to lead to some changes there. I'm not enough of a medical expert to, to diagnose, for lack of a better term, exactly what the shortcomings might have been from that area of the operation. But the bottom line is they have not been able to get guys back on the floor as quickly as they thought they would. And this has uh, happened quite a bit. And so I think they see a need to make some personnel changes there and perhaps change the way they approach some of, some of these medical issues. So it is an area that I think had to be addressed, and they're going about addressing it now. Les, I want to get you out of here with a bit more of a philosophical question about the NBA and, and the playoffs that just took place. And I know the Pelicans necessarily aren't watching the rest of the league to impact how they do things, but do you think it gives David Griffin and the people in that front office actually more hope and a, and a better feeling to see teams like Denver and even to an extent Miami put together these runs without huge name superstars and having to attract big time free agents when you see what guys like Jokic and Jimmy Butler 
have done to then be the two teams that reach the finals? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I think one of the lessons of this this postseason is that you don't have to build a team strictly with lottery picks or or hundreds of millions of dollars spent on individual free agents. That uh, if you make wise personnel decisions throughout the draft and you uh, make wise trades and you, you sign free agents that fit what you're trying to do and don't necessarily command top dollar, you can put together a team that can make a championship run, and, and the, we've talked about the Pelicans having some success uh, in the second round of the draft with Herbert Jones and with some undrafted free agents, and uh, you know, adding a CJ McCollum in a trade is the type of uh, additional piece you try and find along the way. You know, in addition to having Zion Williamson fall into your lap and and making it, you know, the big move with Brandon Ingram, you know, uh, with the Anthony Davis trade. So there are different ways to put together a roster, and I, I think certainly the, the Heat's run is encouraging to teams who are trying to build um, w- without, you know, going deep into the luxury tax. And I think the, the Pelicans are encouraged not only by what they've seen in the playoffs, but by the roster they've put together uh, over the last few years if they can just keep everybody on the court at the same time. Well, Les, we appreciate your time as always, keeping us up to date with the Saints and Pelicans. We will uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. We asked you, dear listener, NBA Finals tips off tonight. Denver Nuggets. Nine-and-a-half-point favorites against the Miami Heat in Game 1. That game will be in Denver in the Mile High City. So we asked you, what will happen in these NBA Finals? Right now, 74% of you say Denver wins in six games or less. 11% say Denver will be pushed to seven games but will still win. 9% of you say Miami wins in six games or less. And 6% of you say Miami wins in seven. JPK, the OD, says Denver in a gentleman's sweep. Even playoff Jimmy Butler can't stop this Denver juggernaut. It does feel like their backs are completely up against the wall. Robert says Denver will destroy Miami. Lots of destroying of the Miami Heat. Eventually, it will have to come to an end. I get that. There's a lot of teams who thought they were going to destroy the Miami Heat in this playoffs. 
the Milwaukee Bucks thought they were going to destroy the Miami Heat, and they were the one seed and the overall favorite to win the entire title, and they did not. The Boston Celtics were the heavy favorite against Miami, and they thought they were going to destroy the Heat, and they did not. Even the Knicks thought they'd beat the Heat, and that didn't work out. So I, I get it. Denver is favored. Vegas likes Denver. All the analysts like Denver. I get it. I understand. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a gentleman's sweep, but Miami has exceeded expectations every step of the way. So just saying. Ralph has commented, opening day of baseball season, Footlish Dictionary, and we get an NBA question. My DEFCON interest level is sub-zero, but we'll root for the heat. Maybe the Nuggets spent all that time off on a rocky mountain high. Ralph has been very critical of our poll questions the last couple of days. Thought he was a friend of the show. Well, Foot actually, if if you know, I don't I don't mean to go at Ralph here, but Foot made an exception this year, and the baseball season started yesterday because he had to do his standings look yesterday because he wasn't going to be here today. So <laughs> today's actually day two. So, but what's the deal with Ralph coming after us back to back days? I thought I thought Ralph was a friend. I thought we were cool. I mean, we even had Salty Steve on yesterday. Is Ralph upset because we don't have Ralph in the studio? Talking about stuff, I just I, I thought we were friends, and yet he's coming hard in the paint after us, D'Lo. I don't maybe know what's he's going just on there. To make us better, sometimes is he pushing us? Is maybe that what he's, he's doing? Maybe he's trying to be Jimmy Butler to his teammates. Oh, Ralph! Ralph is being the Jimmy Butler of fans to us, to the station. Okay, all right, I'll buy into that. <laughs> Keep those votes coming, <laughs> and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. By the way, we haven't had a chance to discuss this. I love the fact that we're letting everyone know that when we post our poll question on Twitter, that it is from, in fact, Earth. I am glad that Elon Musk made that change to Twitter in the last couple of weeks where you now tweet from Earth. I, you know, sometimes maybe some of our listeners would be confused that we would be, in fact, tweeting poll questions from Jupiter. We cleared that up, though, and shout out to Elon for making that happen. Let's give him some love. Great yep. job with Twitter oh, yeah, in his brief sure. time of running things. <laughs> he, he, he made things so much better. Would you pay for a blue check mark? Uh, I have not, and I will not. No. Man of principle. Once again, another tool. Man of well, principle. And it's more just, it's. I mean, it's partly that, but it's also just like it, it kind of lost its meaning now, right? Because nobody has it based on merit except some of the verified uh, organizations those kind of make a little more sense um but no i don't know it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it is what it is so if we see some sort of d low twitter account that has a blue check mark that is in fact some right. sort of burner yes. account by you or is it a troll No, it'll be a it, it would be a troll it would be uh, an imposter okay. um but if they can update blue checks to go back to meaning something then maybe i'll reevaluate there we go reevaluation by dawson we got a couple minutes here before we talk Tulane Green Wave baseball and talk a little bit more about the regionals. But you're going to be guest hosting for Kevin Foote on Footnotes today as our guy Footsie is on an airplane headed towards lovely Miami for the Coral Gables Regional. Got a couple minutes here, bud. Give the people a little bit of a taste of what they can expect to hear 
from 9 to 11 this morning when you're filling in for Kevin Foote? Absolutely. So we're going to start um, by talking to Kevin right away, uh, if everything works out. Now, look, Kevin's <laughs> going to be within the grounds of airport travel, and those are never you're- definite situations. So that's certainly with an asterisk and a pending pending approval um, situation. But the plan is to speak to Kevin right away. We're actually also going to talk a little Raging Cajun track and field with Lon Beto. Uh, the coach of the Raging Cajun track and field team. They just competed in regionals. They've got some guys moving on, some girls and guys moving on, and we'll kind of talk about how that went and what to look forward to um, as, as far as what's a pretty strange regional format, too. We're going to try and get a little clarification on on why it's set up the way it is. Um, so that'll be in store as well. And then, my look, it's my one of my favorite weekends of the year, um, and I put together some regional superlatives. Just like, you know, you remember in, uh, in high school, right, when you made the yearbook, you had superlatives. Most like, I'm sure, RP3, I'm sure you were most likely to be successful in some of those types of things in your high school superlative no, list. No, I was most dramatic and oh, yeah? most artistic because I did drama and art in high school. So that's okay. what I was voted. Well, uh, well I'm happy for you Thank in that you. regard. Thank you. Um, so we're going to assign some of those superlatives <laughs> to regionals. I'm gonna, what were you? Um, so I, we had weird ones. I got this, I got toughest, toughest person. It wasn't like a most likely to do this. It was, I don't know. Grew up on the mean streets you did. No, and it wasn't even like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like a mean, tough. It was a, the way the question, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was a little bit strange. Um, I don't know. I, we, (laughs) so we had, no, it was, it was, it was a little bit strange the way they did it. But anyway, my school was, was uh, unique. Um, so I'm getting, what I want to do, and I've been trying to do this all week, is I want to have the people prepared for regional content. Like, I want people to be able to watch the college baseball regionals and get something out of it more so than just watching their favorite team, whether it be the LSU Tigers, the Louisiana Rage Cajuns, the Tulane Green Wave, or other, right? I want people to... Shout out to Nichols Colonels. And so I want people to flip the channel on, and then maybe, let's say, the, uh, the Stillwater Regional comes on. I want them to be prepared for what they're about to see, which, by the way, I'll just give you... I'll give away one or two here. Oh, here we go. Stillwater has a couple of them. Um, for one, it's the Fireworks Regional. It's also been assigned the Pure Chaos Regional, and it's the deepest regional in all the field. So... You're going to get some of those types of things to be prepared for. Not only in the regional... Deeper that, than the Coral Gables regional? Um, I think so, yes. Ooh. And I'll explain why. I have some stats to back that up. So That's, that's why you got to tune in 9 in. to yeah. 11. We'll be talking about that. I have a couple more, and look, I won't tell you which ones they are, but we have the uh, That Team Is Just Too Good to Lose Twice regional. I'll explain that a little bit. Um, there was a couple teams up for that one, a couple regionals up for that one, and uh, I'll kind of get to that one. I thought about calling one the Cupcake regional, but then I actually changed my mind. Um, okay. that was about, a, you know, a regional field that I think is a little bit weaker, but I changed my National. mind. I'm going to call it something else. It's Conway. I considered calling Conway the cupcake regional, but I, I changed my tune there and, and I'll get to that as well. The angry sea rooster beach chickens. Yes. Regional. Regional. Uh, question before we have to take the timeout, before we bring on our final guest, will there be any paying of the piper going on on footnotes today? Nine to 11 with guest host Dawson Eiserlow. No, because that doesn't exist. And when I'm in charge, we don't discuss things that don't exist too often. Um, now, will he bring it up when he's on for the first segment? You never know. Cat, um, you got to pay the piper. Cat, what's the deal with airports? Why am I having well, to wait so long to get yes. on the plane, Cat? Yeah. It's going to be, look, and if that, if that regional is as rainy and messed up as it plans to be, it's just not the one you want to send foot to. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, 
you don't. Um, and he's going to go Or maybe by you do. Maybe you do. Maybe we need to attach a GoPro to Kevin Foote and have... No. Wouldn't that be a scene, too? We attach a GoPro to See, Foote and we just watch him go about his day My in, concern in is because there's no one there to help him. Like, I'm not going to be there to help him through... Some some rain difficult delays and, rain delays and, and difficult times and try to calm him down. Oof. He's going to be on an island by himself. I'm a little concerned about our guy. It'll be exciting. Who we got coming up after the break, bud? We got Corey Glore, the voice of the Green Wave. We'll talk to him about Tulane's improbable run. That's coming up next. This is RP3 oh. and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into RP3 and Company. You know, we have done a lot of talk about the college baseball regionals, and we're going to keep that going. But sometimes teams get to the college baseball regionals that really maybe had no business getting there. Um, And that's kind of one of the fun things about the sport. And that's what we had in the Tulane Green Wave, a team that is 19 and 40 overall, but played an incredible week of baseball in Clearwater to win the American Baseball Championship. And it's not like they did it against nobodies. They beat East Carolina, one of the powerhouses consistently in that conference. And to talk more about Tulane's improbable run is the voice of the Tulane Green Wave, Corey Glore. Corey, good morning, and how are you? I'm doing well, boys. How are you? Doing pretty well. And, you know, look, it's as somebody who's followed Tulane baseball for a very long time, um, this was something that I, I, I don't think I saw coming. I don't think you saw it coming, and I'm not completely sure that the guys even in that locker room completely envisioned it taking place like this just take us back to to the week leading into that american conference tournament like where was the mindset of this team given kind of how the year went well they've been in for weeks now the methodology that they needed to make a run in the conference tournament and when you have as bad of a year as tulane had you know there aren't they're not the only team around the country that had that you know, idea like they knew that it was going to have to be that week. Um, but what happened as the season went that even though they kept losing, there was never really a sense that they lost interest in making a run. There was not any sort of infighting or squabbling, or there wasn't any fracturing in that locker room. Uh, everyone did stay together as a unit, even though they suffered the historically the worst year in this program's history and so you know when they went through the conference weekend by weekend they were in every single weekend and they looked around the league and they said you you know i I don't think there's a ton of people here that that are better than us like appreciably better even a team like east carolina and so that they really saw an opportunity to if we can put it all together, if we can stay kind of lasered in on what we've been talking about all year, then we actually have a shot to do something here. It's one thing to say it, and then you go out and do it. And I think that that speaks to kind of what that that foundation that was set by Jay Ullman in his first year became, that even though the wins and losses weren't there, there was still uh, a togetherness about that group, a belief of that group, 
that they could actually put a week together of their best baseball, and they did. Well, and kind of speaking to that, I mean, I watched a, a decent number of their games this year, and they had leads in plenty of games. They would score early, and offensively, they weren't ever a bad club, although maybe they didn't reach their full potential on that side of the ball. But pitching-wise, it was always a struggle, but something kind of came together in Clearwater. So what was it specifically that allowed them to finish off some of those games with, that they had leads in that so often throughout the conference slate and even back into non-conference, they weren't finishing those games? Well, and I think that one of the common threads of, of the season is that they rarely kind of they they rarely played poorly enough to lose games. Like they weren't booting the baseball everywhere. They weren't creating some of those kind of foolish mistakes that you see a young team do. They just didn't have the bullets on the mound that most teams did. And so last week, you you get kind of breakthrough performances on the mound in round one. It was Chandler Welch in long relief who stretched that out to the very end. It was Dylan Carmouche, a complete game in round two against Memphis. And then you found a couple of guys at the back end of the bullpen in the semifinals and Michael Lombardi and Michael Fowler, who all went a little bit further than they usually do and were effective. And then in the championship game, it was Carmouche in relief. Jonah Walker came in after him with three terrific innings, and then Ricky Castro, a Saturday starter, saved the game. And so everyone took a little bit of a different role, added more to their plate, and succeeded. But I think the biggest thing on top of that is that when they had leads in the middle of games, they always scored later. They, they scored 20 runs throughout the, from the sixth inning onward throughout that week. And so they took leads and built leads late. So it gave their pitchers just a little bit more to play with, even though they weren't monster leads with the exception of one game, they had the ability to keep pressure on at the plate as the games wound down. And that gave their pitchers a little bit more leeway to use, and they used it. Well, now as we try to look forward to Baton Rouge, and Tulane gets an opportunity now to play a team they're pretty familiar with in the LSU Tigers, um, you know, sometimes teams can talk about a nothing-to-lose mentality. I think Tulane can kind of fully embrace that here if they want to. What are their kind of thought process going into this? I imagine, you know, at this point there's no reason for Tulane to believe that they can't continue to do the impossible and keep winning games, even if it comes against some of the best teams in the country like LSU. Yeah, that's the message. I mean, they, we've this team has seen LSU already this year in a midweek game, and, and you know, like many in the midweek, they, they lost to LSU, but they didn't play all that bad against them. And now with the way that they played last week, they feel confident in their ability to play with this team. And then, uh, you know, a, a perennial power in Oregon State comes in, a, an incredible offense in Sam Houston State comes in to fill out this regional. And so with the way Tulane played last week, that they knew they played their best baseball of the year, and so the, the message has been to go and win this regional. It's not necessarily a we're playing with house money situation. Now, I think once things settle down here, and if the season ends this weekend, the experience that this team is going to get, and it is a very young team playing in a regional like this, should they not get through it, is nothing but beneficial for this program moving forward because these guys are going to experience this in a year in which they did not anticipate they would. They are going to go out there against LSU and try and match them swing for swing. They're not going to get a 100-mile-per-hour thrower like LSU will probably throw tomorrow, or we'll see who they throw. But um, with what they did last week and playing this comprehensive baseball from start to finish, 
they're as confident as any team in the country about how they're playing entering the regional. And so 19 and 40 is sitting there next to their name, but four and one was the mark last week, and that's the team that's coming into Baton Rouge. Corey, to further that point, they're going to try to build on the momentum that they had in the conference tournament last week when they make the improbable run. The flip side to that is we see this often when a team does that and they make an improbable run and they have a losing record. We sometimes see it in the NCAA basketball tournament. They win a conference tournament to punch their ticket and then their stay is short because they exerted so much energy and passion and focus just to get into the dance that they have nothing left in the tank. Do you believe this Green Wave team still has something left in the tank for this regional? I, I'm I'm fascinated by that, too. I think, I think at this point, until they go out there tomorrow at 2, there's not a ton of reason to question it um, because you're talking about a 40-loss team that decided collectively that this season, which was truly hellish for this club, wasn't going to end. They wanted to keep going and achieve something here. It, it wasn't a, you know, a, a team that stumbled their way through and just decided, here's the summer, let's go our separate ways, let's move on, and, and we'll see who comes back in the fall and we'll reset. No, they, they made one last push together to do something here. And it showed a ton to their first-year head coach and this coaching staff. And it is a group, by and large, of freshmen and sophomores that came together to do it, to set a tone for the future of this program. And so whether or not the physical energy is there, I think that's fair to question. The mentality, the uh, the want to, to go through a weekend like this, that can't be questioned because – they had every single reason to just go two and two in Clearwater last week and be done with this season, and they decided not to. They're not here just to kind of you know tip their caps and be a, a, an interesting story for the college baseball world to look at in the next couple of days. They're here to win some more games, and they chose to be that type of team a week and a half ago. Corey, having this run that they did, becoming an automatic qualifier puts a great you know, ending to a, a terrible season by two-lane standards. This is a very proud program that has a ton of baseball history. Is this something that the Green Wave fans and the coaching staff and the team feels like, regardless of what happens in Baton Rouge this weekend, that they can build off of, that this can be a foundation season, a launching point, if you will, to getting the Green Wave back to prominence, having them be a winning ball club and a team uh, that could be possibly a top 25 ranked team in the next few years? Yeah, I think it does send a message to, to folks here, and there's been a lot of, of doubting here in the last couple of months, and the results of the season uh, lead to that. But I think that there's now been a little bit more of an illumination as to the, the, the program that's now being rebuilt here in New Orleans and that there was some good filtering through that locker room it just had to come together at the right time and it did and so now they're going to be on an ncaa regional stage they they are a a national talking point for what they just pulled off here and yeah it's kind of a a a side-eye glance of why is a team like this at the ncaa tournament but i think folks 
here, especially within that locker room, knew that something like this was doable with this team. And now folks in the community here, I think, maybe see a light at the end of the tunnel as to what could potentially be occurring should this kind of keep moving downhill with the momentum of being in an NCAA tournament. It, It certainly doesn't hurt at all with folks you bring in to be a part of this program moving forward, that you are going to be a part of an NCAA tournament, and you can sell the fact that amidst everything and the losses and the eight-hardest non-conference schedule of the year this year around the country, everyone, the culture was so intact that they put together a postseason run when no one thought that that was possible. And so there's a culture that's already been brewed here at Tulane Baseball that is easy to sell now to recruits that wins or losses aside, you will want to play here. You want to play for this team because this program, this coaching staff, the players you're joining have no interest in quitting. They had every reason to this year. They didn't, and now they're playing in a regional. And so that's an easy message to sell to recruits and a very big message that fans could get on board with here moving forward, regardless of this weekend. Well, Corey, the last one for you before you head out. Um, Given kind of what you've said about this team's mindset and their their lack of, you know, not feeling like they've already accomplished everything they can, if this team's to pull off yet another improbable run and, and come out on top of the Baton Rouge Regional come Monday, what will have happened? Well, I think uh, you're, you're talking about a regional that looks pretty offensive, which is, uh, now that's college baseball nowadays, but you're talking about one of the best offenses in the SEC. You're talking about one of the the most potent offenses in the nation in Sam Houston State and an Oregon State team that now has to kind of shift offensively because of some injuries in their pitching staff, but they have the ability to do so. And so, you know, Tulane scored 49 runs in their conference tournament run, and so they're going to have to keep pace offensively with this group because now they've shown that everyone's got a little bit of an experience now of doing just a little bit extra on the mound, what may be more than they're asked to do. And in a regional formation, that is absolutely required. You might get a shutdown pitching performance, but by and large, the offense will carry the day, especially when you're talking about low 90s in the Baton Rouge afternoon. There's not really a chance of rain, so it's going to be a warm and likely offensive dictated regional here. Uh, and so you're going to have to keep the consistent one through nine plate approach that Tulane got last week in Clearwater and put up eight runs, nine runs, ten runs to win some of these games and make it through. Well, Corey, we appreciate your time for coming on. Good luck on the call this weekend, and um, hope you can enjoy the Baton Rouge Regional. All right, boys. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What a tremendous Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. I mean, it started off with 
some college words by yours truly. I use the word flummoxed, and our guy Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. Two Degrees, was flummoxed by the fact that I used that word. That's the type of tone we set for this morning. We challenged each other, we challenged you, and we stepped at the plate and delivered a tremendous Thursday edition of the show. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. Well done. Well thank, done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to set the table. We tried to set the table for the awesomeness that's about to occur from 9 to 11 as my guy D'Lo will be hosting Kevin Foote's glorious show footnotes as the big fella is attempting to get on an airplane to go to Florida to cover the Coral Gables <laughs> he Regional. He sure is. Yeah, a, I, I use the word attempting. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Bill Faycrest, the longtime voice of Alex Box Stadium. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com and Corey. You got Corey. You know Corey personally or no? Um, somewhat. I mean, professional friend of mine, I guess you could say. It's called Guy networking. Who's been kind of mentoring for me. Yeah. Networking. Networking. You're great at the networking. Another tool. Working on it, yeah. Boom. This man is the Mike Trout. Sports talk radio here in Acadia. That's 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 bold. Now, if you if you were speaking from Kevin's foot perspective, it'd be an insult. But I take it as a compliment. Little MVPs. <laughs> Final results of the poll question of the day. <laughs> Let's we ask you NBA Finals tips off tonight. What will happen in these finals? 73% of you say Denver wins in six games or less. 11% say Denver in seven. 8% of you say Miami wins in six games or less. And 8% say Miami in seven games. Ralph also simply shared a gift. Step your game up. He's trying to challenge us. How about what's in store on this show, though, tomorrow? Can we talk about the Blockbuster Friday show that we got lined up? We're not, and again, I told you, I'm going to get you prepared for many of the other regionals around the country that I'm going to do my best on footnotes. But we don't want you to go into that Coral Gables regional. We don't want you to be watching Kevin Foote try to cover that through the monsoon that could potentially be there without you, the listener, being prepared for what you might encounter when the Cajuns are playing teams like Miami or Texas. That's correct. In addition of having James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast to talk all things Astros. We're going to have Vish Parasumaman to talk Miami Hurricanes baseball. We're going to have Kevin Foote talking Raging Cajuns. And we're going to have Zachary Sim talking Texas Longhorns baseball. We're going to give it to you all tomorrow on RP3 and Company, so make sure to tune into that. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Oslo, I'm Raymond Parse III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. Up next, footnotes with guest host D-Lo right here on The Game.